On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have a long-awaited guest from Seville. His name is Sizzle. And if you listen to the end of the podcast, you'll actually find out what his real name is. So listen to the bitter end. And with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is. Welcome to one of the most specialist episodes ever of the Bet the Process podcast, where we have an, a guest that we thought we'd never have, but always wanted to have. We have Sizzle. Sizzle, you consider yourself one of the founding members of Seville? Absolutely not. Who's uh, the founding member of Seville? I really have no idea. I was, I was really late to the party, I think. I got into this world in about, I think it was 2008. And, and I, I didn't get on Twitter until 2014. I got into this world in 2008 on the message boards, Sharp Sports Betting, LVA Sports, Roughing the Punter a little bit on EOG. And um, my, you know, my introductions into this world were Fezzik on LVA Sports and um, Groovin Mahoven and Perpetual Check and the chaperone and boy, I, you know, off the top of my head, um, a dreamer. Um, I think captain Jack was at LVA sports. Um, a lot of those folks. And then, uh, LVA sports was a, was a pay site. Um, it quickly, you know, value and, and price quickly diverged uh, on that site. And, um, then I, 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 Kind of moved it over to roughing the punter, which which doesn't exist anymore. But that site for a couple of years, and then eventually just migrated to Twitter. It was just seemed like that was the natural order of things. And by the time I got to Twitter in 2014, Seville, whatever it is, and and I I don't think I could even give you a, a description of what it is. I'm not even sure. Um, Seville, I think, was pretty much already well established. Whatever it is, I, well, I would actually. I it's like, it's like trying to define Web three, right? I probably, I, my understanding was that it was just, it was a list. It was a Twitter list and, you know, people put you on it. If you were, you know, directly, indirectly, or even tangentially kind of involved in the, in the sports betting world. I feel like Vegas watch was probably an early Seville person. Was that, is that true? Most likely, most likely Vegas watch was already deep in, in the Twitter world uh, by the time I migrated over and, you know, I was internet introduced to him via Groovin. Well, I mean, I was pretty much internet introduced to everybody by Groovin, um, you know, rest in peace, obviously. But, um, you know, for, for you, Jeff, actually, I, I think that I, I'm, I'm, if I'm drawn back on my memory correctly, I was actually, I subbed at uh, bj21.com for a while. And I believe I saw the Fezzik post at, P, at BJ21 in maybe 2008 that announced the startup of LVA sports. And, and, you know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know, I didn't know Fezzik. I didn't know Anthony Curtis. I didn't know Groovin. I didn't know, I didn't know any of these people, but I had already been into the, uh, into the blackjack world. 
and figured I'd just go check it out and kind of get involved in the sports betting world that way. Um, you know, you, you learn a lot through na- naivete, right? <laughs> so, uh, but I, I consider myself lucky because I think I, I learned pretty quickly uh, who was who and, and who was about what once I got over to that message board world. Do we know whatever happened to Vegas Watch? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we do. I think we do. He's still around. But why is he no longer on Twitter? Like my the last I know of Vegas Watch was we he and I played craps together in Vegas, and I finally got to know who he was. And of course, he played Don't Pass, which was probably the most predictable thing in the world. I've done the same thing. I've, I've played Don't Pass uh, with Vegas Watch in Vegas um, at a craps table at New York, New York, and we had the actually we had the whole table playing the Don't Pass line. It was, it was a hell of a lot of fun, man. That was a, that was a really fun night. Um, at, at, regarding Twitter, I, I just don't know. I, I, I can't really speak for him on that. On that, front. what I, I what I always found interesting about him is he was the first one that actually really, in my mind at least, broke down how to do a survivor pool in the correct way. Like he actually had like the best source for doing that to the point where, when my wife was like ten weeks into a survivor pool, I was like, "How are you doing so well? What research do you?" And she and then she'd be like, "Well." the safety score on this team is and their future value is, and it was a pretty fascinating thing that like Vegas watches blog had gone sort of mainstream. Um, Vegas so- is, he's a, he's a great guy. He's, I mean, he's a really, my experience with, with these folks. And I, again, I'm hesitant to refer to it as Seville just because I'm, I'm not entirely sure what that is, but my experience with sort of the, the core group of folks who posts in this, in this arena is that in real life, they're the nicest people and they're always willing to help and to take time to try to explain things to you. Um, you know, Groovin Moovin is, was the perfect example of that. He was really just like one of the nicest, most kind hearted souls you'd ever meet in this world. Uh, if you, if you were lucky enough to, to get the chance to meet him, um, Vegas watch is the same way. Uh, very nice guy always, always willing to help. I mean, provided, provided you weren't asking, you know, really elementary, stupid questions. Um, I'll put it that way, but um, I really enjoyed uh, spending, spending time with him. He's a good dude. Um, Hopefully we'll connect again soon. So what are you, you consider yourself a professional better. We talked a little bit off air about the fact that this is, you have a, a nine to five job, but what's your sort of sports betting? Because I, you know, I, I think of all the people out there, like I, I follow you on Twitter, find you to be incredibly entertaining on Twitter, um, but don't have any sense of like whether you are, and I assume you are an advantage player at some level, a, a better at some level, but can you expand upon that sort of uh, your experience there, what you do in that world? Sure. Uh, so just to take a step back, I, I can say, and, and I don't mind saying I am an advantage blackjack player, um, you know, maybe not to the level of others on this podcast, but enough to the, to the point where I've, you know, I've been backed off plenty of places and, and 86 other places. And I've had plenty of the taps on the shoulder and a number of those experience experiences. Um, conversely, I would not in any way, shape or form ever try to present myself as an advantage sports better. I'm, I'm not a professional sports better. I'm, I'm a recreational better. Um, I've never claimed to be otherwise. And um, I mean, look, there's no, I, I don't mind 
admitting that or conceding that I, I I'm just, I'm just not, I'm, I have a, uh, another, you know, the legal profession is, is my profession. That's kind of, that's what I do for a living. That's what I'm really good at. Um, and the sports betting stuff for me is purely, purely recreational and purely, purely entertainment. But that doesn't mean that you, you don't understand um, the advantage, the advantage pieces of sports betting to a certain extent, right? Um, certainly nowhere near uh, many others, you know, like Grubin or, or Vegas Watch or any of those other folks, right? I mean, no, nowhere near any of that. But um, enough of an advantage player, I guess I would say that that I can see a, a Jason McIntyre tweet that's completely absurd or preposterous or a Clay Travis tweet or a Darren Ravel tweet or a Jeff Schwartz tweet or something. And, and you can, you know, the radar goes off immediately and you're able to articulate why these guys are just provide some of the dumbest content in the sports betting world that's even ever imaginable. Um, but no, I would, I never presented myself as, as an advantage sports better. And, and I, you know, most likely never will. So that's a, I was actually going to like get to that in terms of question asking, which is like, if I were to say your skill, right. And, and I mean this in the most endearing sense, it's that you are have an unbelievable skill as a troll for the sort of very nuanced dumb people on the internet, right? Like everyone can troll the dumb people. I think what you're incredibly good at is trolling the nuanced dumb people. And, you know, like, where do you feel like that skill comes from? And like, why do you, you know, what, like, how do you, how do you sniff out the bullshitters? So, you know, that's, what's the, the, the great line from uh, one of the lines from the movie Sicario, right? Uh, Del Toro's character sitting in the airplane. He says, you're asking me how a watch works. You know, I can't tell you, but let's just keep, I can keep an eye on the time. Um, I, to break down how you're able to really to sniff it out or identify it, I'm not sure. It's it's probably certainly a lot more art than it is science. But a lot of what I do for a living is fraud cases. Um, you know, I take depositions. I I have to be able to determine whether people are lying when they're testifying under oath, things like that. And uh, I think it, it becomes almost like a second nature. Um, and, and believe me, it is, it is much, much easier to sniff out these morons, whether they're from the media or otherwise, these morons on Twitter, it's much, much, much easier to sniff out bullshitting sports betting content than it is to sit and determine, you know, in a business case or a business lawsuit, whether someone is lying under oath. And I think that's just largely a function of the fact that, you know, these people who provide such atrocious content are just not very good at it. I mean, they're, it's, it's almost like a junior varsity league when it comes to trying to lie and present yourself as some sort of expert when you're really anything but. Is there your, I was gonna ask, who's been your biggest foil as a troll? Like the biggest challenge, a challenge. I, I mean, to to ask if something's a challenge, it sort of implies that I am seeking out um, an adversary, or I have sort of like an end goal in this. Um, I really don't. I really don't. 
you know, Twitter, Twitter for me is a distraction and it's entertainment. And I think it's one of those things where if you take it too seriously, then, you know, what are you even doing with your life? I mean, it's social media for God's sake. Um, I, I, I don't really have an end goal or an end game when I'm out there. It just, if I'll say anything, I think I can say this. It personally bothers me when people try to take advantage of others and the context, it, it, the context doesn't really matter, right? It's not sports betting specific in the sense that, well, I, I'm, oh, wow, I'm looking to, oh my God, Jason McIntyre said something incredibly stupid about sports betting. I got to nail him on that. It, 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 it's not about that. Or, or uh, RJ Bell, you know, RJ Bell is, is claiming he's got people selling picks who are on a 32 and nine run or something, you know, well, uh, it's, it's not about seeking that out in order to, 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 to defeat people in particular. It's just, it's just, that's what kind of comes across the feed. I, you know, I have a, I have another friend who's asked me, you know, uh, well, look, I mean, look at the stocks world. You know, you have people, there are far more touts in the stocks world, far more fake experts who are, who are making money off of people or, you know, shilling stock picks or shilling expert advice. And, and he says, you know, how come I never see you call out people like that? And the answer is really simple. I just, I don't know anything about stocks. I don't know anything about trading. I don't know anything about finance. Um, if I did, and something like that came across the feed, I would, I would probably call it out. Um, I'm sure somewhere out there in the miasma of tweets, uh, of my tweets since 2014, I've probably called out people on things that are completely unrelated to gambling. I, I just, I couldn't recall it at this particular moment in time, but it's certainly not like it's a, it's a mission. It, it just kind of is like you develop an interest in something, you learn about it. And then when you see others maybe trying to mislead intentionally or otherwise, or take advantage of people intentionally or otherwise, and it's something that you can speak intelligently on. That's just something that is that's that's how I'm 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 built. I guess I'd say I, I'm built not to let things like that pass. Okay, so let's let's jump into some oh. tangibles, right? Because like I think uh, this is more entertaining if we have specifics. You mentioned J Mac, and J Mac is someone that actually listens to this podcast, so. Ideally, he's going to hear this. So let's just keep that in mind, um, both in a positive and negative way. A message to him, because I, I actually think J-Mac is a, a very nice guy. Like, I don't I think most everyone that's ever met him is nice. But I certainly understand your issue with him. And obviously, on this podcast, we've we've had issues with, or made fun of him at times and and whatnot. But like, let's let's take J-Mac. One, I assume you have because I asked you to see if you could identify some, some, you know, top tweets that you wanted to talk about. Let's talk about some of his tweets that you have um, centered as, you know, maybe unintentionally fraudulent, which I think by the definition of the word fraudulent is actually an oxymoron, but let's just say unintentionally fraudulent. And let's talk about why you feel like it's so damaging and why it's something that's worthy of calling out. Okay. So, well, for, all right, let's start with this. Look, it's, it's not to, to say that it's a J, Jason McIntyre is a personal target. I think that's an incorrect statement. Um, this is Twitter. It's social media. I mean, nothing's, nothing's personal. Um, if it wasn't 
Jason McIntyre. It, it would be somebody else probably who who would draw the attention of of folks who um, are you know get irked by, by inaccuracies, insanely dumb content. Um, you know, st- stupid representations, whether intentional or otherwise, misrepresentations or unintentional representations, whatever. Um, but I think in so in general, and again, it's not this isn't focused on on one person. Um, on, in general, I think the biggest issue are these people who try to who try to act like they're experts when they're they're anything but. And you know. Uh, I, I, look, there's a lot of counterpoints out there, and there are many of them are valid. It's, it's, you know, who cares? Groovin always used to say that there's enough information out there about the, you know, pregame, for example, that I don't need to go on Twitter and tell everybody and tell the whole world you shouldn't buy picks from anybody, pregame or otherwise. You shouldn't be paying for picks. He used to say there's enough information out there, and if you're not smart enough to go out and, and dig it up and do your own research and figure it out. I'm not here to help you. If you want to talk about more more granular levels of of what these operations do or what these might people people might do, then we'll do that. But I'm not out here to to try to educate everybody on the basics. Um, but but there was always this this thing, and and I always read it as such. I always read this feeling as such, and I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to suggest that this was something Groovin ever told me or said or anyone else for that matter, because they didn't. But I always read it as such. Imagine this, okay? So so I practice law for a living and I've been doing it for a while. I've invested a very significant portion of my life in it. Um, I'm well over the 10,000 hours, right? Uh, There are many aspects of it at which I've become an expert. It drives me utterly insane when people who are wholly clueless about the law will put themselves up on a pedestal and speak to an audience as if they, they, they know about it. They've invested the time, the energy, the effort, the resources into really mastering the subject. And, and I'm just going to go up there now and, and I'm going to, I don't know, spew nonsense about it. I mean, Clay Travis is a perfect example of that. Um, he's an attorney, but he hasn't practiced in God knows forever. And then he, he, he tweets these prognostications and these statements of law and these legal opinions and I got I kept a running thread of it for a while, and they're invariably wrong always. And I don't mean just wrong. I mean they're like opposite world wrong stuff. And as someone who kind of does that for a living and has invested a large part of his life in it, it that part can become a little bit personal. Now, like I said, the sports betting content stuff that that's not personal in any way, shape, or form. It just it is what it is. It's it's entertainment. You see somebody say something stupid. And it just, you know, if you're the type of person that gets bothered by it, like I am, then you are and you respond in kind. I always just assumed, rightfully or wrongfully, that people who actually take the time to master the craft of sports betting would be, and I guess I would say I could sympathize or sympathize with it, maybe empathize with it. People would, you would be in, infinitely bothered or irked. By people the likes of which would be would Jeff Schwartz or Clay Travis or or Jason McIntyre or R.J. Bell or anyone trying to trying to take a stand and speak to an audience intelligently about something that they actually know nothing about and not just that something that you've invested a significant portion of your life mastering if that makes sense 
Yeah. I mean, I think, again, if you go back to these guys and I think it would be good at maybe now to throw out some of those, the tweets that you consider to be some of the worst ones so that we can kind of break those down in terms of why they're so potentially like fraudulent or damaging or whatnot. Right. I think this is like kind of the area I think that Rufus and I often argue about where like, uh, again, if you go back to like a Jason McIntyre or an Aaron Schatz or someone like that, this is the whole, like who's more damaging in the world, Aaron Schatz or Vegas Dave. <laughs> right. I, I, I don't know the answer. I, you know, I, Schatz is not someone I ever really paid attention to. He just he just didn't interest me um, for whatever reason. I never really thought about why he didn't interest me, but he, but he didn't. And, you know, Groovin seemed to have that guy clocked. So, you know, there was there was really no reason to ever, I think, jump in to any sort of convo or thread regarding that guy. Um, you know, Vegas Dave is I, I, look, I think these people are I think these people are damaging. I think I think it's bad for the industry. I think it's bad for people in general, especially rec betters who are just out there to to have fun with stuff. Um, you know, you often see touts say things like, well, they're they're not paying me for winners. They're paying me because I make the experience more fun for them, which doesn't make any sense in the world to me. Um, garbage in, garbage out. Uh, if you want to have fun with it that way, just flip a coin and and see what happens. Um, but you know, the you 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 had said uh, or you had requested your top you know, top 10, I think you you said stupidest tweets. <laughs> uh, so I you know I wouldn't say I wouldn't I wouldn't say these are damaging um or fraudulent, at least the ones that that I kind of collated here. Um I would say that for entertainment purposes, which you know hopefully people are listening to this because they want to be entertained, I I I Selected some which I thought would be, I don't know, maybe the the ones that are so stupid that they're funny. Um, I but I, I certainly don't want to present any of these as, oh my God, these are these are so fraudulent and these are going to hurt people and damage people or anything like that. But what I did was I know you said 10. I actually have 16 because I couldn't help myself. Um, and I know you said please don't make it 10 Jason McIntyre tweets. I I I didn't. I have five of them because I couldn't help myself or maybe four of them because I couldn't help myself, but I kind of put them into, I kind of put them into tranches here, right? Like I have a, I have a Jeff Schwartz tranche and a Ravel tranche and some Clay Travis ones and maybe an RJ Bell one here and, and some others. And so I'll take them. Let's just go in, in, we'll go in reverse order. And I don't know what, don't, please do not ask me what the rhyme and reason is for ordering these the way I did. but. The first one I picked, um, just because it's a personal favorite of mine, I put this one at number 10. Um, I know I said I have 16, but I put them in tranches. So like the Jeff Schwartz tranche, I have 9A, 9B, and 9C. All right? Like it. Uh, but I, the first one I started with 10, and it's actually, it's actually just a random guy. Uh, his, his Twitter handle is VolfanJeff. Um, I selected this one because on August 21st, 2016, he, he jumped into – some thread involving Clay, and he felt the need to tell me that Clay was on fire in college football last year for a while. That's his wheelhouse. I won't blindly follow, but he knows his stuff. All right. The next year, Clay started selling 
his VIP, his Outkick VIP package. Um, he'll tell you he wasn't selling his picks. You know, I I disagree with that. I, he had a tweet when he announced it where he said what, something like, what's the right price for early access to my college football picks? Um, but uh, to be fair, I guess we'll, we'll say it's debatable whether he was ever selling picks. But so Volfan Jeff, Volfan Jeff here, August 26, 2016. That's Clay's wheel, wheelhouse. I won't blind follow. He knows his stuff. The following season, Clay starts selling early access to his college football picks. And in the five years I've tracked him since then, he's lost like 85 units and it's a negative 14 plus percent ROI. So um, every year at the end of every college football season, when I tabulate kind of where he is, and by the way, he's five straight losing seasons. He didn't even have a, doesn't even have a positive season in any of those. Um, I always like to, uh, send a little reminder to Volfan Volfan Jeff with a screenshot of this tweet asking him, uh, you know, his thoughts, are we still in the wheelhouse? So that one at number 10. Do you think uh, that that's a Clay Travis burner account? It, maybe. It, I mean, it's entirely possible. I know this, at least when I screenshot this, um, this, this young man had a, his avatar was a picture of him and it looks like his lady friend. And, you know, it doesn't look anything like Clay, but, you know, who knows? That could be pulled off of the internet. For all we know, but I don't know. He seemed like a nice guy, but um, no need to jump into these types of threads. Uh, all right, let's go. Let's go, Jeff Travis Tronch. I mean, Jeff uh, Schwartz Tronch. All right, so so the Jeff Schwartz Tronch. I have nine A, B, and C. You know, one of my favorite Jeff Schwartz is May 17, 2019. I've never bet more money on a future than I did for the Ravens under eight and a half wins. Anyone, you guys, off the top of your head, you remember how the Ravens did in the 2019 NFL season? We're both thinking. It's like <laughs> bubbles coming out of our head. They made the playoffs the year before that. That was when they lost to San Diego. Wasn't that the first Lamar? Year? Yeah, that was the first. Yeah, I think so. I mean, how did they do? I don't I pulled it up. My memory's so bad. 14 and 2. Okay, there we go. <laughs> is that more or less? Is fourteen more or less than eight and a half? I yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Jeff, you're fewer, the math. Fewer. Was, you're the math was here. You tell me, but I, I think he might have lost that. One. He had a, he had a sequence of of those where he's like, I keep firing, I keep firing the under every time there's news about the Ravens, I keep firing the under. Jeff, uh, Jeff's very good at adding and subtracting by one. <laughs> Jeff Ma, not Jeff Schwartz. I don't know if he is. <laughs> So I, I love that one. That one was a fave. Um, nine B and C were were pretty funny. I like these because uh, Evan Silva. So on March twentieth, twenty eighteen, Evan Silva tweeted: "Players who weren't as talented make better analysts than X stars." And I'm not sure it's close. Had to win with technique and smarts and a high level understanding of the game. Jeff Schwartz immediately jumped in to respond to that. Just maybe an hour or so later which you're kind of telling on yourself, I think, if you're a former professional athlete and you jump in in response to that tweet. But nonetheless, he jumped in and he said, yes, I agree. I had to get by with my intelligence. And he spelled by B-U-Y. 9C. You know, the problem with autocorrect, guys, is autocorrect doesn't correct words that are really words. (laughs) That's right. 9C is the same one in... 
something in my brain tells me, I don't know why I, I have this in my head, but Jeff Ma, I think you might have responded to this in some way, shape, or form. But 9C is Jeff Schwartz, July 28, 2019. Also, most the people who want to argue on Twitter think they are smarter than me, which they aren't. It's my job to formula opinions and know the rebuttals and be able to articulate them. Also, again, <laughs> autocorrect's not going to catch any of that. <laughs> so that's so, I, too I'm, easy. Uh, too, uh, uh, too easy. Two first two sentences of that tweet. Two obvious errors in something that's, I guess, touting his intelligence as far as being uh, a pundit. I don't know. Anyway, uh, oh, here we go. Oh, you know what? And then I did this. I don't know why I, I, I labeled this one nine. Uh, I got my numbering off. Whatever. But this is a straight nine, and the ordering doesn't really make sense. But I had to throw it in here because. Um, I, I didn't know if you'd bring it up. And Jeff Ma, you did actually bring it up earlier here in the pod when you said Jason McIntyre listens. And, um, you know, sometimes you've maybe had some kind things to say, maybe sometimes not so kind. But August 29th, 2019, I remember listening to your pod that you did that day or maybe the day before, whenever it was. <laughs> and I remember listening to it and it was clear that Jason McIntyre didn't because you guys and you guys very politely shit on him during that pod. And at 4.05 PM, I guess I'm going to say this is probably then the next day at 4.05 PM, Jason says, heard from you guys that I got a shout out on Jeff Ma's podcast. Always good to be mentioned in the same smart money space as sports cheetah and Clay Travis. (laughs) I think the funniest part about that is that, J- Jason heard he was mentioned on your podcast and he just assumed it was you were saying positive things about him on a sports betting related somewhat podcast, <laughs> which was funny to me. Uh, number eight, number eight, I threw in a I threw in a Clay Travis here just to mix it up. And it's not even really a sports betting one, but I, I think it's interesting nonetheless. Um, for anyone out there who's a big Sopranos fan, you know, there was an episode. Where, where Tony Soprano, uh, he went around and, I, and he met, and I, I, I haven't seen it, or I did see it, and I don't remember it, so forgive me if I mangle the, the description of the episode. He, re- he went around, he met with every divorce attorney in town in an attempt to conflict them out of being able to represent his wife character in the show. Um, and so Clay said, and now he, Clay's obviously ripping it from the show. He's obviously biting it right out of Sopranos without saying he is. I guess hoping that no one would notice it. But he said, he says, that's also why you get a divorce. If you get a divorce, the smartest thing to do is go to all the top divorce attorneys in your market and meet with them first. Then they can't rep your spouse. They are conflicted out of the case. Hashtag devious legal tip. This is yet another example of of completely telling on yourself. Every single state's rules, whether it be the ethical rules or the rules of professional responsibility that apply to attorneys, they all have a rule in there that says, if you intentionally go around town and try to meet with attorneys to conflict your adversary out, that's called taint shopping. And it, as a matter of law, does not create an attorney-client relationship that can preclude the attorney from representing your opponent. And 
maybe this is a little bit too much in the weeds for, for this pod, but it's remarkable to me because it was something that we all know Clay is clueless when it comes to sports betting, but the guys, the guys got a law degree for God's sake. Any, any, this, this tweet couldn't be more wrong about the plain language of black letter law. And I even went so far as to look it up in Tennessee where he lives and the Tennessee rules very plainly say what I just described. This doesn't, if you do that, it doesn't count and you don't create conflicts that would preclude your adversary from representation. Again, it's just remarkable to me that the guy doesn't even know the ethical rules in the own state in which he's presumably barred. Um, but that one has always, always been a favorite, always been a favorite to me because you get into those and you start looking at the, the, all the replies and people are like, oh, that's so smart. I got to remember that for when I get divorced. And wow, you're a genius. Thanks for bringing this to my attention. And, and you know, here we are. It's complete nonsense. Uh, seven A, B, and C, my Darren Ravel tranche. Is Darren Ravel a friend of the pod? I mean, there is no one off limits when it comes to this. This is, to your point, this is not personal. <laughs> Darren Ravel is someone that I will um, consistently attack when he does something ridiculous. Uh, similarly to Jason McIntyre, Darren is a, a nice dude, but like I've had some... He literally will write things down that he hears or that he thinks about. And he'd be like, ah, can't forget to tweet that out later. And I'll write it down as a note so he can like tweet it out later. Like that's <laughs> how calculated that guy. And that guy lives in his own world, right? <laughs> I mean, there there is there is some talent there, I think, that you know, it's it's like something, but like, yeah, no, I have I have no problem here in the Darren Reveltrons. In fact, I look forward to it. Darren Ravel blocked me. It was it was over. I mean, this was a few years ago. He had um, tweeted something about. Do you remember the guy that um, Parlay Pats? I think it was. Oh yeah, went to jail, and I basically said like, "This is why you shouldn't glorify um, degenerate behavior." Basically, like I couldn't. I, I I I somewhat remember that day. I think I went back and then and I think I I researched and screenshot like the eight or so Ravel tweets. You know, propping up Parlay Pats as you know somebody who's an advantage player, and, and there's stuff in there where it's you know reminder the only place to get Parlay Pats' picks is at the Action Network and and stuff like that. And and then Either he's unbelievably dumb, at least in understanding process versus outcome, or he is you know I mean just cares about clicks. <laughs> I don't I don't think Darren has so if if. If uh, Sizzle has a unique quality to be able to sniff out the bullshit, I think that Darren has a unique quality to not give a shit about the bullshit. He, he doesn't. He's just he's just in it. And, and the guy, the thing that I think is interesting about Darren is he is who he is. He's almost like organically and sincerely like caring only about the clicks, right? Like he would never tell you anything differently. Well, okay, so why does he block people? Doesn't he want, I mean, you lose followers that way. At some level, some I think he does care. Skin, right? or, or, okay. We'd have to ask him. I bet Darren would come on this podcast if we asked him. I'll let you ask him. Okay, well, maybe we will. I After he him. listens to this and hates us for this. He blocked me too, and then he, and then he tagged me in a tweet after he blocked me. So that was, uh, okay. Let's, let's hear the Darren tranche. So I got the first one. I have seven, a 
Um, oh, this was the 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 episode where he in his action network picks, he inputted a 136 unit play on a college basketball mm. game. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Robert Silverman at the Daily Beast wrote an article kind of about or, or centered around that whole that whole event, which, you know, look, I mean, people can think what they want about the Daily Beast. Uh, they may like it. They may not, you know, left wing, right wing, all that kind of stuff. But the article itself, I thought, was was pretty good. And on um, September 12, 2019, Darren had a response to that where it was, I was asked to convert dollars to units. I gladly did. It was all transparent. In fact, thanks to what I did, action now lets you track dollars. I've enjoyed gambling Twitter's narrative that I'm not informed. It's no more than a narrative. <laughs> You know, the word informed is doing a lot of work in that tweet. I'll just, you know, maybe we can put it that way. But uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, The explanation of, um, I was asked, I mean, he could have just said, he could have just said, I I selected dollars from a drop down instead of units by accident. I mean, I I, I don't know. That's probably not even what happened. Maybe he really was Yoshin. And he was trying to catch up with a hundred and thirty-six unit play or whatever it was. But the idea of I, I was asked to convert dollars to units, it was transparent. And oh hey, I did everybody a favor because now we changed the script for the action app. Come on, come on. Seven uh, B, Darren Ravel, June 30, 2016. This was in relation to Coastal Carolina winning the College World Series. Um, if you guys remember that. And so he tweeted. Coastal Carolina, more of an underdog in name than reality. 55 to 1 to win it all. The Carolina Panthers were 71 when they made Super Bowl 38. <laughs> the idea to me of, uh, you know, com- comparing world college World Series futures odds that are posted, what, when the field is set? Maybe. I mean, maybe you guys know better than me. But um, the idea of comparing that to the odds of the Panthers uh, making or winning the Super Bowl at the start of an NFL season, I, you know, it's, it's, it's apples to oranges. And I question whether he ever even knew it was apples to oranges when he drafted that tweet. Well, it's interesting, right? Because that actually highlights this idea that this mainstream media that's kind of like, looking at sports betting and trying to use market odds as a sort of like litmus test of like how, you know, it's like when, when someone tweets out like, Oh, the Gatorade, blah, 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 where they think it's like, there's some value to that compared to like a totally liquid market. That's being bad. Like it's, it's, it's an interesting, like, I think in theory, it would be interesting to be able to use, market odds to be a predictor of like some level of like probability of an event happening. But I do think like the mainstream media has no idea that that's not necessarily true. And to your point, apples to apples and apples to oranges across different markets. And, and you know, I'm glad you, you said it, Jeff, I, I, I neglected to say it, but yeah, I mean, liquidity, right. You know, it's an NFL futures market versus college baseball world series market. Let's let's talk about how wow the Carolina Panthers were a bigger underdog than than Coastal Carolina 
they weren't really a Cinderella. I mean, is that even the point of that tweet? I'm not even sure. And the, the Darren 7C, um, this was a good one, October 1, 2016. Okay. Um, bad beat of the day. 92% of the money had Baylor covering as 17-point favorites over Iowa State at 108 William Hill Books in Nevada. Baylor won by three. Somebody responded to him, a bad beat is when your bet loses in the final moments, often on a crazy turn of events. And Darren promptly responded, yeah, well aware of what that bad beat means. I went back and pulled up the box of that. And yeah, predictably, the, you know, Iowa State was winning the whole game until the fourth quarter when they got, when they got outscored 17 to nothing and Baylor won the game by three. Um, the idea of uh, Darren framing that as a as bad beat of the day, it, yeah, comical, comical to say the least. Um, oh, number six. Oh, so six is kind of my R.J. Bell tranche. I only have two of them. I have. Let's see. Uh, this is you know this is a funny one. J- January 4, thousand eighteen. R.J. Bell. If you bet one NFL game on Saturday and one on Sunday. That sorry, let me back up. January 4th, 2018, that was the playoffs. So we're in we're into the NFL playoffs at that point. If you bet one NFL game on Saturday and one on Sunday, that means you've bet half of the schedule, which is like betting eight games during a typical NFL regular season week. If you're generally trying to win, be careful of your volume this weekend. <laughs> I mean, I see you, Jeff. I see you head and hands there. Um, if you want to uh, speak on it, feel free. <laughs> I I think so. The subtle part about this again, and 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 what I applaud you about is the subtlety of how silly these are. Is that R.J. Bell of all people tweeting out a cautionary, you know, tweet about reckless gambling? That's just rich as it is, right? And the idea that uh yeah, that extrapolation is is not is not extrapolation that I would go with. To just to digress just a minute. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but it seemed to me and I don't know why I peg it at this point in time, but it seems to when Action Network went live, it sort of felt to me like pregame and RJ Bell just dropped off the map completely. Yeah, I don't know. If you get, you I thought RJ Bell was such a you know he was a brilliant marketer in a very when nobody was trying to market basically. Why well, I, I think I think what happened to some degree right is that there became, you know, with action. Um, I'm not saying specifically action, but generally like there just became a lot more charlatans out there. So RJ standing out as a charlatan, you know, I don't think it was just action per se, but. It, the, the level of content has gotten so bad that, you know, what they do on pregame just doesn't seem quite as bad comparatively. Is that, does that resonate to people or am I like, am I wrong on that? No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you're right or wrong, Jeff. To me, it, it, it seemed like, yeah, I mean, the market got flooded with um, more, I mean, it got flooded with more touts and, you know. The Action Network folks will tell you we're not touts or, you know, the Barstool folks will say we're not touts. And, and OK, fine. I mean, 
I guess reasonable people can have a discussion about that, but I get maybe the bigger point is the, the market just got flooded with a lot more content. And it, it somehow, it somehow just silenced them. At least that's was my, my take on it. I mean, you know, RJ Bell used to get spots on a Stephen A. Smith radio show. Right. And he used to be on Colin Coward's show. I don't watch or listen to either of those. So if he still goes on those, I mean, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but it just certainly feel certainly felt like, Main the mainstream sports media just basically closed the door on pregame once the action networks of the world started popping up. I would assume that his business is still doing fine. So it, it's it's interesting, and I I, uh, I I I do think about that mostly when when you and I when I was like DMing you around these tweets, I was like thinking to myself like if we had done this like five years ago, I'm sure the ire would have been focused a lot on RJ Bell, but, but we've hardly even talked about him at all on this pod. And, and I, you know, I think a lot of other people have sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's almost scorched earth, right? Um, you know, Ryan Goldberg wrote that fantastic article about pregame for Deadspin, not the current version of Deadspin, but, you know, the Gawker Deadspin. And it, for, to me, there really wasn't much more to, to, contribute on on pregame after he wrote that article he, he he did a fantastic job and he nailed it he did you know he did such a great job that he got sued and he was you know stuck in 18 months of litigation with them before they settled with him and and basically got nothing out of him or gawker or deadspin um but maybe it just it just became scorched earth around that time which i think was maybe in 2016 you know how well how much more could you say about him after after that was written that's just a personal opinion of mine I threw in here because I couldn't help myself when I was when I was looking these up in the you know uh, in the in the Jeff gave me so much notice to uh, to to call the eighteen hundred plus screenshots and, and try to find these, but I couldn't help it. I pulled it right here. I put it as six B in my RJ tranche. Um, this is a tweet from a guy named Rufus Peabody, and it's May 21, 2018. As sports betting gains more traction in the U.S., there will be more touts selling their quote-unquote expertise. We need a media that is better educated and equipped to cover the industry. So the likes of RJ in Vegas do not become the face of it. I remember when Brent Musburger called out RJ Bell, and RJ went scorched earth on him, like um, accusing him of working with a, a person who, who sexually harassed people in the workplace. Uh, I really just... Kind trying to change the narrative. Yeah. Uh, I, did he do that with you, Rufus? I just don't remember. Oh, he went, yeah, he went scorched earth on me at one point. I think it was in, it was right before the Super Bowl in 2018, but then it ha- happened again at one point, I think. What was the nature of the attack? Like, what was, what was the substance or the subject matter of his attack on you? I honestly don't even remember at this point. I could look it up. <laughs> I don't recall either. <laughs> it was so long ago. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're talking about four years ago, uh, but I couldn't help it. I saw that one pop up and um, I had to make sure I referenced it here. I, I, number five, I put I, I, I put a JMAC one in number five because I couldn't have one, two, th- one, one, two, and three be Jason McIntyre. Um, I say number five because I have a 4A and a 4B, uh, but nonetheless, I, I, I put a JMAC here. Everyone should know this one. This is January 8, 2016. David Purdom tweets, three times more money has been bet on Alabama than on Clemson. 
at Caesar's Palace. This is in reference to the national championship game that year. Jason McIntyre responds, makes me feel a little better about Clemson plus six and plus seven. Hope it somehow hits seven and a half before the game. Come on, Steam. <laughs> so, so it's the national championship college football game. He's got what's presumably a bad number on Clemson, and he's excited that the that the number is going up. It's, it's it, like it's a hard one to even respond to, to be honest. I, I can see you guys. You just you don't even know what to say, right? <laughs> Uh, I had to break it up. So I broke up Jason McIntyre tweets by throwing in a, the, the four, a four B, which is what I refer to as the, the Doug Kyed special. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, is that, do you know, Jeff? I mean, he's a new England guy. He's a Patriots reporter. Is that your buddy? I have no, I saw this. I saw this earlier, but I don't, I don't know who he is. Okay. So, well, if he listens to, if he's a friend of the pod and I pronounce his name incorrectly, I will apologize for that. And only that. So on, so now we're talking um, NBA playoffs, May 21, 2018. The Celtics money line is plus 255, and the Cavs minus seven is minus 105 on Bovada. Given the lopsided results so far, decent chance you can make both bets and make money regardless of the outcome. <laughs> Let's repeat Celtics money line plus two, five, five Cavs minus seven minus one Oh five. Doug says, bet them up, bet them both. Good chance. You can make money either way. So, you know, he got roasted on that by a number of people. Um, I, I, I tweeted out and he actually responded to me and he, one of his points was I won money. Nice typo dummy. I had a typo in my tweet. But he said, I won money. Nice typo, dummy. Okay. He's autocorrect. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. You won money. Great, Doug. That was on, that was on May 22nd at, at one in the morning. Uh, the next day, uh, also at one in the morning, you know, just, just kind of monitoring. He responds to some other guy and he says, guess it cost me a dollar, Dave, a whole dollar. I had a dollar and 44 cents bonus in my Bovada account. I put 52 cents on the Celtics money line and 92 cents on the Cavs to cover. You care this much over $1 and one cent. <laughs> I, 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 you know, when May 22nd hits every year, I, I just, I have to, I got to repost that one. It was just, it was so fantastic. Um, the Doug, the Doug Kyed, Kyed special, however you do you like, it. do you like schedule this somehow bookmark it and schedule it? You have a calendar with tweets that are like scheduled to I mean, you and Ravel are more similar than we think. I, that's rude. Number one. Um, but, but yeah, yeah number two, <laughs> number two. Yeah. Let's just say I have some, some reminders that pop up from time to time with respect to uh, a lot of these, a lot of this content. Number, I guess, well, this is number two. I numbered them wrong, but let's go number two. Um, number two is one every, I think everybody should know at, at, by, this, by this point. It's another Jason McIntyre classic. This is the McGregor-Mayweather boxing match in 2017. June 14, 2017. Um, there's a Sports Insights has a tweet. 
sharp action on McGregor. Over the past hour, McGregor has moved from plus 850 to plus 675. Mayweather, minus 1400 to minus 1000 at Bet Online. J Mac quotes that and he says, the only play here is McGregor. There's no value in Mayweather. So some guy, I don't know who it is, responds and says, this reads like you don't understand value. There's tons of value in the current line on Mayweather. And Jason responds, have you seen the odds? I'm curious to hear at what dollar amount is their value? $5,000? $10,000? And are you going to take it? <laughs> I, I mean, so I so I th- I think this is an interesting one because I do think that there are a lot of mainstream media people that equate plus odds as value, right? Like you, we can even like on Simmons's podcast when you know Key and Cousin Sal are looking at futures, they'll often just highlight more long shots as having potentially more value, right? And so you know I'm not like defending him in this case. But I do think it's not just him that doesn't understand the concept of value as it pertains to odds. How is that the amount of money you bet on something have anything to do with value? Oh, sure. Also, <laughs> I, I mean, look, it, to be somewhat fair minded, you're right, Jeff. I mean, this, he's not the only guy in the world who who gets elementary stuff like this as flagrantly incorrect as he does. Well, and some people um, have typos, but it's not it's the. It's not a typo, right? It's that it's, it's it's like double. Even if it initially was a typo, it's like doubling down on it. <laughs> it's definitely not a typo. Uh, and then you know, number one, uh, you guys want to guess what number one is? I mean, if you follow me at all, you should you should know what number one is. Any guesses? Mm, I'd have to like get on the Twitter machine. All right. Okay. Uh, I won't I won't burn your time making you making you throw in, throw any guesses out there. This is of course the famous. The ultra famous Jason McIntyre tweet from September 27, 2015. Saints go for the two point conversion and fail. Amazingly, the super contest line was minus four and a half. Vegas knows. Carolina 27 22 with four minutes and 50 seconds left. Now, this, there's a, this, this one requires a little bit of explanation. Um, but before that, I will say that this one is so fantastic that I actually paid somebody on Etsy like $69 to stitch this tweet for me. And I have it in a frame sitting on my office and it's, and it stares at me every single day. Uh, and, and I wish I could remember the person's name because she did a freaking fantastic job with the stitching. It's it amazing. Good. We need a picture of your, your desk with that picture. On. <laughs> I'll, I'll Maybe we can get Jason McIntyre come sign it, or we can have him issue NFTs. We should make an I, NFT out of it. I don't know if he signs it; it's going to be worth less than what I paid for it. So fewer um, hard hard pass on that. But do, do either of you guys remember? I mean, do you know? Do you know the context of this and why it's so hilariously ignorant? I don't remember now. Okay, so um, so the super contest line locked at minus four and a half. On on Wednesday, um, on the th- on Thursday, Breeze was announced out for that game, and this was this this was Saints at Carolina. So Breeze was announced out, and then the line jumped and it closed at Carolina eight and a half or Carolina nine. 
this tweet, he tweeted this on September 27th, 2015, which was the NFL Sunday. So it's NFL Sunday. It's Vegas knows it's using the stale line contest number, which had breeze playing when in reality, when that game went, you know, at post that game went off at minus nine, Vegas didn't know anything. Carolina didn't cover <laughs> and the saints did it, you know, plus eight, plus eight and a half plus nine. And yeah, but the super, yeah. the super contest people knew the super contest. People. There you go. See, those people are actually in Vegas. The people moving the moving the lines aren't in Vegas. So maybe, maybe Jason McIntyre was actually right. So here, well, here's, here's, here's the thing I'll say about this. Okay. And you know, at the end of the day, like it's fine. We we're critical of people, blah, blah, blah. Like never let's not try to attack anyone personally in this case. Right. The lesson that Jason should understand is if he is going to purport himself to be a sports betting expert, someone that people should follow advice from on a major media, he should probably know enough about betting, i.e. betting himself or following lines that that line closed at eight and a half. Right. And that that four and a half really knew nothing. So even if you believe that the market is incredibly accurate or, quote unquote, Vegas knows like you should understand the distinction between those two things if you purport yourself to be an expert. And that I'd say, I mean, all of this I'd say to Jason to his face, but if he's listening to that, I'd love for him to like understand that that is like at the core, the issue I have with people purporting themselves to be experts and then clearly showing that they're not really paying attention. And, and I think, I think he, you know, at this point, so this was, this was 2015. Okay. Um, the thing that, I eventually got, I shouldn't say eventually because it happened, I think, kind of quickly. But what got me blocked by Jason was, was this exactly. I, I, I was tweeting back at him because he was doing this for at least two seasons. He was, he was providing Sunday NFL commentary based on the stale super contest lines that locked on Wednesday. And I was... I was responding to him and pointing this out and maybe I was being a little bit coarse about it. And that's what eventually got me blocked. That's shocking. (laughs) But I don't believe that there's no way. (laughs) I'm right. It's sweet as roses, right? What's wrong with that guy? Uh, You know, in, in an effort of to, to be somewhat fair about it, he has learned, he doesn't do this anymore, but it took him like two or three seasons to figure it out, which is remarkable in in and of itself. But uh, to your point, Jeff, it's you're right. It's it, it's not personal, but he does identify himself as Fox as a Fox sports betting analyst or sports betting expert. And it, it's has been as recent as last season. I mean, I've been I've been tracking his and Clay's picks, you know, for four or five years. You go to his his blog or his article is weekly piece on foxsports.com and it's right there in the bylines of jason mcintyre sports betting analyst or sports betting expert and while he doesn't make these or this elementary mistake anymore last season i'm going through it and like his picks are four team nfl teasers from from fox sports or fox bet or whatever it is you know and it's I'd have to go back and look. I didn't, I obviously don't commit these to memory, but it's like 14 NFL teasers at like minus 135 or something. I mean, I, it's, it's just it's ridiculous. It's complete 
ridiculous nonsense, useless content. And um, if anything, it's, you know, maybe it, it, at, at best, it's unintentionally designed to make people think that you're like a shark when, I mean, who, who's out there? Who's out there following four team NFL teasers at minus 135 or whatever the numbers are? Well, what we no need, money. someone needs to run a course that is like sports betting for sports betting experts, like to teach the sports betting <laughs> experts how to be actually understand the sports betting industry. Because I think, I mean, part of the problem is that you have people thrust into these roles. That, Rufus, did you do a master class on this? Yeah, seriously, that's what you need. And, that, and you get all these networks, like all their experts have to enroll. The, the challenge for that, of course, right, Rufus, the challenge is you'd have to charge, you'd have to charge so much to make it worth your time that it would just be prohibitive to, to anyone who would be interested in it, right? Yeah, I mean, but you charge, you charge, I mean, you charge the networks. I mean, the networks would pay for it for their, for their people. I mean, I don't know, maybe. But the, yeah. the, the, here's the issue, though, honestly. Like, we're giving Jason McIntyre crap about this. But he's not the problem in this. The problem is that Fox is promoting him as the expert. They're so lazy. They don't they can't find untalented TV people like Rufus and I to be on on television. And instead, they find someone like Jason, who's good on television or good on the radio, but doesn't know shit about sports betting. Right. So, again, it's like a laziness. And, th and that's a lot of what we're seeing right now is like on the mainstream sports. They're like letting these ex-athletes give sports betting picks. When they really have no idea, like what a point spread is or what any of this means, right? Yeah, but they're people, their faces, they're people, people, you know, I, recognize. I, like, I understand why they're doing it. Me, Jeff, like, like, I don't know if you know this. This wasn't wasn't a live taping, but I once misspelled ESPN when I was like taping something. So for ESPN, we've all had moments, Rufus, on television that haven't been good. So I, I no remember yours. Following <laughs> your sins, it's. Uh, look, I stumbled over my own name. You're not wrong, Jeff. The, you know, the higher ups at these networks, and I say higher ups relative to the talent, right? I mean, I'm obviously not referring to the CEO of Fox Sports or anything like that, but the higher ups, whether they be producers or or programmers or whatever, you know, I, I don't know the I don't know the the authority structure when it comes to producing these types of shows, but the, you know, to the higher ups, content is king. And who cares? You're right. I mean, who cares if you promote someone who doesn't know what he or she is talking about as long as people watch. You just don't care because there's no, there, there's no, there, there's no consequences to it. Yeah. No one ever, you know, no one's ever going to file a lawsuit against ESPN because the guys on daily, daily wager are clueless and are giving bad advice. Right. Um, no one's going to file a lawsuit against Fox Sports for yeah. But if they do, if if they do, then suddenly your class becomes a lot more appealing to these networks. True, true. It, but I, I think you'd have to have the perfect storm to be able to do it. Because I mean, what are the damages? Right, you can't have a lawsuit without damages, and. I wasn't being. I wasn't being serious. I know you're a lawyer. <laughs> no, yeah. I know. I know. I know. I, it's okay. I, I understand. But it, it's and it's probably the same reason why you would you would never see a, a lawsuit filed against a a, a pick selling service. You know. Well, you, always, wait, you there's this lawsuit against the guy in Florida though, right? Well, so Adam Mayer. No, no. There's a different one. I think Adam, like um, someone who, or it was a poker player. Sorry, maybe it wasn't Florida. Maybe it was Vegas. <clears throat> right. 
A lot. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. There was, I, I, I saw that recently, maybe it was last week where um, some guy got arrested, I think in Nevada for, for bilking people out of, um, out of, but it yeah, was he, millions he said, of dollars. He said he had a fund and, you know, didn't really, I guess okay. that he would, or, or he sent people. Well, no, I don't even think he took, I think he had people send him money and he sent them picks and said he was betting for them. I don't know the details, but and it was clearly fraud. And that may, that, that sounds more to me like a Ponzi scheme type situation, which is a lot more palatable to, you know, both civil and criminal attorneys, but the average customer of a tout service, it, it never, there's, unless you can put that together as a class action, it's never going to be worth anyone's time or any lawyer's time to, to pursue that. Uh, I've always thought, and this is just my personal take on the law. I've always thought that tout services would be susceptible to civil fraud claims. And the theory of the case, I think, I mean, I think it's, it, it would withstand scrutiny, um, at least as a matter of law. The theory of the case is that they're knowingly selling you something that has no value, right? There's a reason why, in response to the Deadspin article, R.J. Bell never posted the real records of the pregame touts, right? If, if you remember the piece, uh, they had, you know, two guys had run a script and it had tracked all of the picks of these 30 or 40 pregame touts over a, a, a multiple year period. And, you know, the end result was a negative $350,000, assuming $100 a unit or something like that. You know, RJ always said that the, that was that was that was incorrect. Those those records weren't properly tabulated or they did it in an incorrect way or they faked the records or whatever. But he never produced to the public the actual records, the actual historical records of pregame touts. You know, you, we're assuming we can only assume why he did one. They didn't really keep them, which is reasonable. I mean, there's no reason for a tout service person to ever keep a long term record. You keep a short-term record. If it's good, you promote it. If it's bad, you don't. Uh, or they did actually keep records, and they were as bad or maybe even worse than what Ryan Goldberg reported in, in the article. Uh, if, they're, if they're as bad, if they actually keep them and they're as bad or even worse, then that's knowledge. That's actual knowledge that your product doesn't have any value. And I think it's a, I think it's a very cognizable legal theory to say, if you're knowingly selling people something that you know has no value, that's fraud. Now, I know a lot of these sites would rely on the disclaimer, right? I mean, all of these sites have a disclaimer, presumably at the bottom. This is for entertainment purposes only, right? Past performance is an indicative of future results, that sort of thing. But that, so, this, so wait, I think this person actually was like he, so he claimed to have inside information and to know that matches were fixed and he took money for that. Okay. That's, that's a lot easier of a case. Yeah. Right. Because that's affirmative misrepresentations of fact. That's, that's much easier than a tout service. But a, a tout service that, op that misrepresents the record. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I mean, I think this is a good precedent. Yeah. It, yes. It's, it's most certainly helpful. Um, you know, whether that's a criminal case or civil, I think that's a criminal case, which, which you know, might be a little bit different. Um, 
as far as its precedental value towards a civil case. But but nonetheless, maybe it is. Maybe it's a step in the right direction. Um, but I can tell you that with respect to those disclaimers that I know I know people may rely on, those aren't get out of jail free cards, right? I mean, the law is is not form over substance. The way the law operates in general is substance over form. And there are a lot of different examples unrelated to touts and pick selling activities where just because you put some sort of disclaimer in writing that is in no way, shape or form does it save your ass. There I can, you know, I could bore you with plenty of examples of that, which I won't. So it's always been an interesting thought experiment to me about whether um, someone, a subscriber to a tout service who, who loses money could successfully you know, prosecute that case in a civil court. The answer may be yes. I think it's yes. But the trouble you always run into is, well, okay, what do you win if you win? You know, your $500 that you paid for the subscription, you know, I mean, that sort of thing. If you're not gambling legally, right, if you're not placing the bets legally, you can't sue for those losses because the law will not enforce illegal gambling. The law will not support it or enforce it. So, you know, if you're subscribing to a tout service and you're betting at an offshore site and you lose $50,000, you can't, you can't sue a tout to recover that money because it's, it's illegal gambling. You could sue to recover your subscription fees, but nobody's going to go through an 18-month lawsuit and incur $100,000 in legal fees to recover 500 bucks. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a class action suit waiting to happen. So maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get there. All right. We're going to let you go. We got right, you. To so write- hold on. I got a couple, I got a couple of things here for you. Okay. Um, okay. This is the good I, part. I, I, sorry. Well, okay. Uh, first, let me be brief. Uh, as brief as I can be. When I did the two Brian Bullock pods, the focus was really um, come on and talk about existing lawsuits, right? Like when I did the first one, I kind of went in depth and talked about the RJ Bell, RJ Bell versus Vegas runner civil lawsuit. And when I did the second one, um, I kind of talked in depth about what, about how the RJ Bell versus Deadspin and Ryan Goldberg lawsuit resolved and some of the, some of the nuances and intricacies of that. Um, I, I thought it might be interesting just to, to bring up one here with you guys that um, I hadn't discussed on any of those other ones. I don't know if we're, are either of you familiar with, you remember the who was the triple crown horse? Pharaoh something. What, what was that horse's name? American Pharaoh. Okay, American Pharaoh. So, did you guys know that the owner of that horse was a big time better sports better? No. Okay. And okay, so he this guy was a big time sports better at trade wins. You're familiar with trade wins, yes? Rufus is nodding his head. He doesn't want to say yes. Uh, so. He actually got sued in 2000. The lawsuit was filed in 2013. He actually got sued in federal court in New Jersey by an offshore agent seeking to collect his commissions on the guy's losses. His name, Ahmed Zayat, Zayat, Z-A-Y-A-T. I'm looking it up right now. If I pronounce that incorrectly, you know, my apologies to anyone who cares who's listening. an agent, an offshore agent actually sued him for commissions. And the funny thing about this, not that it really matters to anyone else probably, but the the attorney who represented the agent, the agent's name is Howard Rubinsky. If you're looking that up, Jeff, it's Rubinsky versus Zayat, Federal District Court of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um, The attorney who represented the agent, Rubinsky, I actually litigated a case against that guy a long time ago. and. Um, yeah, he's an interesting attorney. 
uh, I wasn't surprised to see that he he was actually representing this guy and seeking to prosecute this lawsuit, which he framed as a breach of contract lawsuit. And so here, here are the so what's the white meat here? Here's the white meat. Um, Rubinsky alleged that Zayat lost two million dollars, and he didn't pay up. And because he stiffed, that means that Rubinsky got stiffed on his commissions. And because Rubinsky got stiffed on his commissions, he alleges that trade wins made up for Zayat's alleged stiffing on the two million by withholding commissions from Rubinsky that he was due on other gamblers' losses. And the guy actually filed a law, and this was in 2013, right? So PASPA is still the law. You've still got, you know, the unenforced, the uh, the UIEGA, if I got that acronym correct, um, the Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act that they snuck into the Safe Port Act in 2000, October of 2006, which, by the way, caused uh, online poker to basically dry up completely. All the fish left that used to be the easiest money on on earth playing online poker prior to UIEGA, but uh, nonetheless, I digress. Um, so everything, I mean, you still had PASPA, you still had, you know, it, sports betting is illegal everywhere except for the four states, Oregon, Montana, Nevada, and the other one, which I can't recall. Um, and this guy actually filed a federal court lawsuit to try to recover that money. Um, Zayat's attorneys made a number of arguments in opposition to the claims, which included uh, this is really the he's seeking to enforce an illegal debt, namely a gambling debt, and the law doesn't allow you to uh, enforce contracts for illegal activities. Um, but they actually won the case on the statute of limitations. Are, are, you, are you guys familiar with the concept of the statute of limitations? I am. It's a big statue. It, it, it has a lot of limitations. Is that Ellis Island? No, I think I, think, <laughs> I thought it was Alcatraz. I don't know. Statute. So, so, so the statute of limitations is is. What it is is it's it's a it's um it's usually defined by statute and it basically cuts off your time period for filing a lawsuit, right? So for example, um, you know in New York the statute of limitations on a breach of contract claim is uh, six years. So if you breach a cut, I hope I got that right. Um, I'm testing my memory on New York law. Uh, if you if someone breaches a contract with you and you don't sue them for that breach within six years of the breach, then you can never ever sue them again. It's called the statute of limitations. It cuts off your right to sue them. Uh, and the court actually, rather than deciding the case on the issue of the enforceability of illegal debts, gambling debts, the court decided the case on this on the very boring statute of limitations issue. The court found that if there was a contract. Uh, between Rubinsky and Zayat, they had it as early as 2003, and he waited all the way until 2013 to sue, and thus the case was barred uh, by function of the statute of limitations. It was easy. It was you know a three or four page decision. It's an easy way out for the court. Um, it's a shame the court really didn't get into the merits of the enforceability of an illegal gambling debt alleged by uh, an offshore agent. But um, nonetheless, it's it's you know it's 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 a lawsuit which is which touches upon sports betting, which is kind of, you know, right, right in my wheelhouse. So to speak. you got one more for us. Uh, I just have that. But what I have here is I have two, I have two questions for you guys. Okay. That people asked me to ask you, um, uh, Rufus, you're, I'm just going to, re- so I got to read it. Okay. Cause this is kind of deep in the weeds stuff. Um, 
So this question comes from the poster who's proppy at underscore capital P, lowercase r-o-p-p-y. Uh-huh. Um, here's the question. Okay, it's long, so bear with me, Rufus. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Rufus, as an econ major from Yale, where does multicollinearity come into play? You mentioned in several interviews how econometrics was a course you took and that helped you learn to model. Oh, yeah. When it's I, been like the foundation of, thing, of what I've done. When I took this class, meaning Proppy, not me, when I took this class, my professor beat it into our brains that multicollinearity could be, major, be a major problem with a regression model, often making it hard to interpret the results. It blows my mind that this video could be released with blatant multicollinearity and that the video never mentions any of the potential issues one may face with just slapping stuff into a regression. Wait, what's the video being mentioned? So here now, that's that's a... second part. Okay. My question originates from an unabated YouTube video titled How to Use Linear Regression, released on July 29th by Mr. T. I have, not, video, I have not seen this video, so I cannot, okay. I don't feel qualified to comment, but I can comment on multicollinearity. Let me, fit, well, let, me, let me just finish the question and we'll see where you stand. In this video, Mr. T walks through how to perform a linear regression to predict a pitcher's strikeout percentage. He uses the independent variables of strike percentage, looking percentage, swinging strike percentage, and foul strike percentage to predict the dependent variable strikeout percentage. Mr. T mentions and highlights on the screen that independent variables are variables that are not impacted by other variables. Strike percentage is clearly impacted by all three of the other independent variables. Looking strike percentage, swinging strike percentage, and foul strike percentage. Probably a bit nuanced, but Rufus should have better eyeballs on a topic like this. I'll say that you can't avoid collinearity. So collinearity is just essentially the independent variables in a regression having a high degree of correlation to each other um, or having some correlation, I guess. And the degree of collinearity is based on the amount of correlation. And obviously, I mean, the issue there is essentially that it's harder to discern the impact of one from the other. So it's largely an interpretation thing. And so the best thing to do there is uh, sort of some dimension reduction, like a eh, dimensional reduction. Sorry, I'm I'm messing up my words, but um, something like um, a principal components analysis or something like that to essentially like meld them into one into independent variables, which I think dimension, dimensionality do, reduction. Um, I think you should do another unabated video on that for this. Yeah. Maybe. Um, I don't think like I will say that, I mean, look, if I run a regression, so a big way I evaluate like my model a model I have is running a regression of like an outcome. Um, did the team win or lose on my number, um, my probability of the team winning or losing, and then a market vig free number. And those are going to be extremely, extremely correlated. And so you can have, um, I mean, so in essence, um, you know, I could, I could get something like, um, you know, maybe, two for the market and negative one for me if my but that doesn't mean that my model is necessarily completely garbage it just could be that they're so similar that it's hard to tell the difference i mean so like that's there there are certainly um 
I mean, although if I got negative one, I mean, it would actually make you think, oh, my, my, mar- my model's so bad that it's just, or it's so good, it's just really good at predicting the wrong way controlling for the market, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be kind of, it, you know, you just, in essence, are not getting the true, um, your, your p-values, your t-statistics are going to be, um, aren't going to be really um, valid. It's going to show a lot more significance where there really isn't um, just because, how, how related the variables are, but it's something that's generally pretty hard to avoid um, in certain areas. So I don't think it's maybe as bad um, as probably might think, but like, I think you're right. It's, you probably should um, mention that and the fact that it makes it harder to interpret um, the coefficients properly. Okay. And, Do you and, now. But, but uh, something like principal components analysis, what it does is actually it transforms, let's say you have five variables that are really related into variables that are linear combinations of those variables that end up being um, completely independent. So it's, it's, I think you five variables. Hold on, hold on, Jeff. People, you, you know, people say you cut me off when I'm saying something. And you know, this is for the nerdy people out there, but it, it essentially creates these five, like the, the first, the first uh, principal component is um, is essentially it, it max. Wait, I'm gonna, I might get this wrong. It maximizes the um, the it explains it finds the like to save you vector that, that explains the most of the variance. It, it tries to explain the most of the variance, and then and then you find the independent vector that explains the next most you know of the variance, etc. Um, and so you have five vectors to explain the entire variance, but, um, but that's a good, a good strategy for, um, essentially converting these five really correlated variables into something that's more usable without, um, running into collinearity issues. So maybe that answers the question. We'll let, uh, we'll let Proppy, you know, I guess respond to that uh, when he has a chance to listen to this, but I, uh, I told him I'd ask the question and I mean, all that stuff is way over my head, but sounds to me like that was a pretty good response. Yes. I only stumbled over my words a little bit. <laughs> I got, so I, okay. I have to ask you this one, Jeff. Uh, somebody, somebody asked me to ask you this, but I got to tell you, I want to know the answer too. And the question revolves of course around the movie 21 and we need to know why they put in an Asian character didn't make him the main character, but instead made him some crazy kleptomaniac that just likes to steal shit from hotel rooms, which has no bearing or relation whatsoever on anything that the real world of advantage card play is about. We listen, Jeff, the world wants to know, were you consulted on this? Did they give, did they at least give you the courtesy of, of giving you the heads up that they were going to do this? And if so, so, so there's a, there's a few things to think about here. One, I had very little leverage in anything regarding the movie i I was consulted on the original screenplay which was written by a guy by the name of peter steinfeld um and that peter actually spent a lot of time with us he uh, flew out to boston spent time with us flew to vegas with us spent time with us the screenplay that he wrote was was very accurate and it was very um along the lines of uh what we did that movie was never going to get made and so they handed it to another screenwriter who had written screenplays before, actually was a recovering gambler and totally changed it. Now, the decisions of who plays whom in the in the movie, unfortunately, I had very little to do with. 
Um, they went with Jim Sturgis because they thought he was like sort of this unknown that that was up and coming and they thought would make for a good person to play me. They brought Aaron Yu in to play this sort of like character. And, and you know, most of the characters in, in the story were Asian um, in real life. And they brought Aaron in. And, and a lot of the Aaron stuff was him just ad-libbing because he thought it would be funny. And he was a comedic actor and he was at the time. And so, um, you know, you can read a lot into this at the end of the day, but it's a movie, right? And the goal was to make this thing as entertaining as possible. And, you know, I, I do think are sometimes... You, wait, are you about, saying that Asians aren't as entertaining being the main character, Jeff? I think at that time in in, in life, it would, would have been really hard to sell an Asian male lead for that movie. And I do not think the movie would have done as well with an Asian male lead. Now, do I do I think that's good for... No. And do do when people give me crap about not taking a bigger stand and trying to represent, you know, an Asian male lead. Like I would have loved to, if I thought I had any leverage to do that, but the reality is I didn't. And at the core, what was important to me was that I was able to uh, work with the studio and then get my name and, and my likeness out there in the PR, um, which it was. So. And, and, you know, I don't, the genesis of the question, Jeff, I don't think it's certainly it certainly didn't come from a place of, well, Jeff, why didn't you stand up for yourself more? I mean, that, that, that was, no, it, it, I mean, like it is, it is an ironic thing to think about, especially not ironic, but it's, it's an unfortunate thing to think about in the lens of everything now, you know, with, I, I think there is, and we can get into this at some point, this is a conversation for another time, but this is like the whole concept of the model minority, right? Which is that the, uh, the Asian male or just generally Asians, we go with the flow, right? That's the the idea. And I had never really understood this idea or this concept until the last few years when people started thinking about, you know, Asian, Asian hate or, and, and how it was a real thing. It just seems so perhaps the, you know, the most preposterous thing about it is why, why it, Aaron, you was a funny actor, right? I mean, we've, we've seen him in other things. Why make the character a kleptomaniac in the movie? It does. <laughs> that was a lot of that was a lot of him, kind of. Was it? Yeah. He's ad, so he ad libbed. He ad libbed a lot of that. Steals stuff. There was a lot of like the main character. There were a lot of like funny things, and like you know when you're kids and you're staying in nice hotels, you do take like ashtrays and things like that. You think that that's like the idea of that. Those kind of things did happen, like you know, to the point where we were getting amazing comps and we were trying to like get the most out of them. Right. Um, but you know, uh, again, it's, it's, it, you are probably reading more into that from the standpoint of the actual studio having anything to do with that. And it just occurred to me, I figured I'd ask you, Jeff, if, if you, if you don't mind sharing, um, what was, what was the dumbest thing you ever did when you were involved in that world? Like, I mean, and when I say dumbest, Let's tie it to advantage play, right? Like what's what's the dumbest thing you ever did, either you know, at or in very close proximity to a blackjack table? We didn't do a lot of dumb stuff from a blackjack standpoint. I mean, we would like flat bet high at the beginning of shoes, sometimes to buy camouflage. You know, there's like camouflage yep. plays, but you're so you're so fixated on edge. That anything you do that's negative EV, it just it just like you're you're just brought up not to allow that to happen. I think that probably what people would say about me that knew me during those days was playing crafts was the dumbest thing that I did because <laughs> I would do that at the end of the trips and and just have fun with it. Sure, yeah, maybe maybe that's 
it maybe it's dumb from a mathematical perspective, but if, if the idea is you're blowing off steam and you're just doing it strictly for recreational purposes, then that's what it's there for, right? Yeah. All I'll right, boys. The dumbest, the dumbest thing I did, Jeff, which you may appreciate or may not, was I and, and I I didn't this was, you know, maybe four or five years ago, to the point where, you know, the games are just unplayable, right? When you go to Las Vegas, I mean, the games are unplay. From an advantage play perspective, the games are com- completely unplayable at this point. Um, and it was at the tail end of it, uh, of of actually there being playing playable games around. And I kind of did the reverse order of you, meaning I started the night with everyone shooting craps, and I was like drinking straight tequila and playing craps for four hours. And then I had this brilliant idea of I just don't care. I'm going to go play blackjack in the high limit room at the Mirage. Right. So I'm in there and there's, there's four people in there and three of them are guys at the, at the Baccarat table. And I'm in there, you know, I don't know how many tequilas deep and, and keep, and they keep coming and I keep playing. And yeah, obviously I eventually get pegged and tapped and it wasn't just pegged and tapped. Now it's picture name. You can't play blackjack here. You can't play blackjack anywhere. (laughs) They didn't kick me out or walk me off the premises, but it was, uh, you know, one of the dumbest mistakes, as I'm sure you can attest, is, is going in and playing in the high limit room when, when you, you're trying, basically trying to get as many eyes on you as humanly possible. Yeah. We all have those moments because it feels fun to play in there sometimes. It feels That's fun. just when people get overly aggressive. And it was just, it was the end. It was, it was almost felt like it was, this was the end of an era, right? right? I, I didn't see myself ever being able to come back and, and do advantage play, at least not there, not in, you know, not in Las Vegas, not on the Las Vegas trip. So it was kind of like, who cares? Let's just go out with a bang. All right, man. Thanks for joining us. This has been fun. Kind of trip down Twitter, the Twitter world. We'll have you on again some point to talk more legal stuff. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, let me know. I'm happy to come on and, and really try to get into, into the nuts and bolts of some of that stuff, provide some value with respect to that. Or I don't know if you want to get back on and talk about movies more, we can do that too. I watch a lot of bad movies. All right, man. Thanks for joining Appreciate us. It. Talk to you guys all again next week. All right, guys. Have a good night. Data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of Reddit. 